Welcome again to RetireCoast.com's podcast. The topic today is financial literacy education must be taught in high school now. This is Bill Anderson, your host for this podcast. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about. I have a passion for education to make sure that our children get through school with all of the life skills necessary to make it. I run into so many people in the course of my lifetime who could have done far better for themselves with some basic financial education early on. The kind of education I did not get from my parents. My parents didn't get it from their parents. None of my siblings got it. Very few people learn it except by trial and error. They get into trouble financially, and that's how they learn, and hopefully they don't repeat the same things again. I'm not the only one that believes that financial literacy education in school should be taught. Actually, there is somewhat of a movement across the country to make this happen. There are about 38 states that have some type of financial literacy requirement already, I don't think it's enough, and even in some of those states, it's not a required course. Now, the argument that you get, of course, is that we can't add anything more to our school curriculum. We're already full of the read and write and arithmetic kind of things, and I fully understand that. But I still believe that there must be a way to insert this into a school day Perhaps it's not every day, maybe it's once a week, similar to the way colleges work, but there has to be a way to get it into the schools. And if you make it optional for students, some will take it, but the ones that don't take it are probably the ones that really need to take it. That's why so many people, I think, struggle through life is because they don't have a basic understanding of money. Not just their own money, but public finance as well. They don't understand taxes. They hate taxes. They hate government. All of these things, I think, could be somewhat mitigated if students learned basic finance in school. That means home finance, such as balancing a checkbook, which nobody does anymore, but students are given debit cards early on and they need to understand that there is no unending supply of money behind that card. A lot of parents actually do a disservice to their children by doing that type of thing or giving them a credit card where the the children don't understand how to manage the credit card or where the money comes from. That will damage them later in life if they don't get some basic education. So even if your school doesn't offer this, I encourage you as a parent or a grandparent or a concerned citizen to see to it that your children and your grandchildren or even the kids in the neighborhood, the parents understand that it would be a good thing if the children had basic understanding of home finance at the very minimum. I think the biggest reason is people can't afford to buy a home, and since I'm a real estate agent, I run into this all the time, is their inability to save for a down payment and also their absolute ability to destroy their credit. Uh, Those two are the primary reasons that people can't buy homes. They 
don't understand that there are ways they can save money for a down payment instead of complaining that they don't have the money for a down payment. If they had started early on in saving, and I'll talk a moment about a project that's ongoing to help younger students do that, but if they had saved their money over the years instead of spending it on a lot of things that people in their 20s, for example, just end up throwing money away, going to bars and just having fun, 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 instead of understanding the compounding of money and how important it is to start early and start putting it aside. The other problem in the arena of credit is that people will get their first credit card, sometimes in college or right out of high school, and the first thing they do is run it up to the limit or overspend it and don't understand that the money just has to stop someplace. They think that the old saying about having a book of checks, as long as I have checks, I must have money. And that's what happens when you don't understand the basics of finance that can easily be taught to high school students. Um, I recall that in my previous company, I had a number of employees, and they were typically younger employees, anywhere from 18 to 25 to 30. And we had a 401k plan, so periodically I would sit down with all of them and explain the value of the 401k plan and why they needed to put money away and I would show them on a whiteboard how much money they would earn at age 40, age 50, age 70, that type of thing, and show that in basically it could earn up to a million dollars or more, depending on how often they put the money in. And the major value of the 401k plan was the fact that my company was making a contribution, matching a good portion of the amount that they would put in there with free money. And I would tell them, if you put in $100, we'll put in $100. That's $100 of free money. And so many of them just didn't get it. I tried my best to explain it in the simplest terms possible. And they said, well, we just don't have enough money. We just don't have enough money. Well, maybe they didn't have enough money, but there's always some money to gain free money. It's about budgeting, for example, some things that could be taught in school. So perhaps they would understand that maybe they did have some money that they could put aside to match. That's the kind of things that, that students in high school can be taught. They also should be taught, as I mentioned, how to manage debit cards and credit cards and some of the modern things we have. Everything's electronic these days. So where in the past people would actually have a checkbook and write things in there, when they go to use that card all the time now, they have to keep a mental tally of the fact that they're running out of money and how much money is left over and when are they going to get paid and those kinds of things. Who teaches people how to do this? Well, no one except for the few schools around the country that have elective courses and they perhaps one or two uh, districts or states that may in fact require this. I'm not saying this is completely desperate. There are courses, there are efforts out there, there are educators out there that want to teach this. There are even a lot of legislators who really want to see this happen. A good example of that is a bill that was put forth in Mississippi in 2022 that would require that 11th graders 
get an education in financial responsibility. I think one of them was public finance also. So they understand how taxes are collected and why taxes are collected to make them just, you know, a better citizen. Well, that bill didn't go anywhere. And the reason some of these bills don't go anywhere in state houses across the country is that it might be fine to pass the bill, but you have to also make sure that you can fund the teacher position or the time for the teacher for that course. You just can't expect that it's going to be squeezed in someplace. Also, someone has to design the curriculum. Now, there are some curriculums out there that are being designed by universities and some large corporations that also can be used or at least adapted, but still, someone has to be responsible for making sure that that is included and someone has to create the curriculum. So you can see that there's a little bit of background work that has to be done here before that first day when the teacher walks in the room and says, okay, students, let's get out our checkbooks and we're gonna talk about how we can balance our books and make sure that we put money away for savings, we put money away for school, we put money away for this, or we put money away for that, for example. So there's a lot more to it than just watching your credit score. I also contend that one reason that a lot of people cannot buy a house is that they don't understand the idea of, for example, amortization. I have talked to so many people that truly believe that when they sign that mortgage for 30 years, they have to stay in the house for 30 years. Now, I don't know where that comes from. I've never been able to track down a source where someone was told that. But the fact that these individuals believe that if they sign that paper, they have to stay for 30 years means that someone failed somewhere along the way uh, to educate this person and many others that believe the same thing on how amortization works. I have explained this to some people on more than one occasion. Sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. Now, I understand that you can't explain everything to everyone in high school and expect them to have just a great life and remember everything that you've taught them. But the basic information that you provide in high school can help set the stage for their ability to find answers and understand bigger financial issues later on. Certainly one of the things that you would discuss in a high school curriculum is how to buy a house and how houses are financed and, and the type of credit you need to be able to buy a house and how you can save money to be able to buy a house. So from a real estate agent's perspective, I would love if kids could get a better education about real estate, for example. One of the foundations in this country on everything, which everything seems to be based. You're either going to rent a property or you're going to buy a property because you have to live someplace. So I think this would certainly be an issue that would be taught in any one of these school curriculums. I'll give you an example. My grandson came to my office one day, actually he came for a few days, but the first day that he came, he asked me if he could do something to earn some money. Well, this was an office, and obviously at 11 years old, we couldn't pay him, but he didn't know this. So I asked him to speak to the office manager because I said, you can't work directly for me, that's a company policy. Well, it was my company and I set the policy, but he understood that. 
So I spoke to the manager on the side, and I said, look, give him a job to do, and you will arrange to pay him whichever way you want to pay him, and then at the end of the day, tell me how much it is, and then I'll take care of it. But he didn't know that. He thought the money was going to come from the company. So she gave him a job, and he was folding something. I can't even remember now. It's been so long. And we were going to go to lunch. So he said, well, can we come back quickly because I want to fold some more so I can make some more money? And I said, sure, we'll just go out for something quick, and then we'll come back. So I had to admire the fact that he wanted to work. Now, he's only 11 years old. He didn't need to work. Remember, he brought up the topic to begin with. So I thought it was an excellent opportunity for him to learn a little bit about finance. I wasn't sure how much my daughter had taught him. I know some, certainly more than I was taught, because I had talked to her a little bit about this before. So he wasn't completely devoid of information about different things, particularly about public finance and taxes. So he came back from lunch and finished during the day. Well, at the end of the day, he laid out the money he was given on the table at home. And I said, okay, here's what you have to do. You're going to have to pay for federal payroll taxes. Now, I need so much of this for, for taxes, so why don't you give it to me? And he gave it to me, and I set it right here. And then I said, okay, I need some for state taxes, and the state tax rate here is this much, and I'm going to put that here. Oh, and then I need money for Social Security. Well, you can imagine, he look on his face, he was sitting on the other side of the table where I keep saying, give me, give me, give me. And then at the end of that little portion, I said, well, it's time now to talk about your IRA, which he actually had one because I set it up for one year before. I said, you have to contribute to the IRA. I said, but here's the good thing. The company is going to match that contribution. So if you put in a dollar, the company is going to put in a dollar too. So he sat there and thought, well, how much money was he going to contribute to the IRA and how much money would he have left? Because he wanted to buy something. I can't recall what it was, but it was something important to him. And I said, well, what's it cost to buy that? And he said, oh, it's so much. And I said, well, you know, there's always tomorrow. You can earn some more money tomorrow. So why don't you tell me how much you want to put into the IRA so we can conclude this today? And we did that. He gave me some money, and so I said, okay, well, here's the match for it. And I pulled money out of my pocket and stuck it in there. And then the next day, we repeated the process. So he was telling me that he thought it was unfair that he had to pay all those taxes. And I said, well, you know, that's not all the taxes. Because you don't earn a lot of money, the rate that you are charged is lower I said, now, do you want me to tell you how much I'd want if you earned X and it was in the thousands? And we talked about that. And he said, oh, well, that's even more unfair. And then I explained to him, someone had to pay for the roads. Someone had to pay for the military. And he goes, oh, oh, okay. I said, however, that doesn't mean that money can't be spent honestly and above board, the things that people actually need without being wasted. I said, there are examples of wasteful spending. I said, I want you to think about what that is. So later that night, he said, okay, I think I know an example of wasteful spending in government. And then he gave me an example of some 
freebie giveaway or something like that. This was in California, so there's a lot of that going on. And I said, well, doesn't that make you feel bad? They're taking your money and doing that with it, and you don't want them to do that. And he said, yes, there's no benefit to me for that. I said, good, just keep that in mind through your entire life. The next step, of course, is for you to do something about it, such as run for public office or vote for the person that you want in there that will do what you want them to do. So there are some lessons to be learned there that carry forward, not just in the financial aspect, but as I mentioned before about the public finance portion of that too, so that as a good citizen, you understand the need for taxes and where tax money goes. But he got it. He really did get it. And he understood that he couldn't spend all the money that he had. And I even explained to him about the IRA that even all of that money was not his, that later on in life, when he took it out, he'd have to give some of that back to the government. Well, he was a little dismayed about the whole thing. And I said, well, it, it gets worse from here because the more money you make, the more they take. And you just have to get used to that's just the fact. If you earn $100, you cannot keep $100. You have to give some back. So you, if you really want to become wealthy, you have to earn a lot more money so that you can keep more of it. Those are the lessons that an 11-year-old learned, and he did learn those. Now, this is years later, and he has a 401k, and he saves money, and he doesn't just go out and spend it. He doesn't buy every nice, shiny thing that he sees, and he's very good with his money as a result of that and some continuing education on the part of his parents as well. When I was young in elementary school, I remember that a bank set up a savings program for students in there. We were given an envelope with a little bank book. This was for uh, savings. And every week we would bring some money to school. Sometimes it was only 25 cents, sometimes it was 50 cents. My parents were both working and there were five of us, so we had to share that. It wasn't $5 or anything like that back in those days. But every week, we'd put that money in that bank book and write down how much it was, and that would be collected by the bank. They would send somebody to the school, pick all that money up, and take it over to the bank. And I don't know how long it must have taken their clerks to go through all of those nickels and dimes and quarters and that type of thing and record that amount on the little envelope that was received and then bring those back before the next week and then do that you know, week after week, I don't think, think there's any way the bank made any money on those transactions. But I learned early on, that was my first discussion with my parents about money. So it helped me a lot. That, But that was it. Just after that, there was nothing continuing into high school or anything else. I do recall, however, that there was a course in home economics that all of us thought in high school at the time was just about cooking. As it turns out, that wasn't true. It was somewhat about cooking, but there were portions of the course on home finance. Years later, I wish I had taken that course. I wish they had explained what it was. I think more of us may have taken that course. I did better because than most kids because I had a job in high school it was a, a regular job at a store, and I learned how to handle my money my, working with my parents in that respect. 
but still nothing particularly formal, but better than the way kids are brought up today with virtually no education on how to handle and budget for savings and that kind of thing. Now, I'm not saying that some parents don't have a tradition in their family of taking so much of an allowance, for example, and putting it away. That would be a good thing to start. You don't necessarily need to wait for a school district to set up a program. But I think it's a great forum for the school districts to set up a course where they can actually explain to the kids in real-world terms what all this means. And when I say that, I remember when I was in high school, I really hated math. And I realized later on in college why I hated math in high school. And it was because the teachers never explained the real-world application of the math they were teaching me. They were just numbers, the algebra, uh, trigonometry, numbers that didn't mean anything to me. Later in life, as I went into business, I realized that I actually had learned something. <laughs> it didn't seem like it took at the time, but then I could see the value. And I started getting into higher finance, and I understood internal rate of return and some of those kinds of concepts that I started to learn in school, but just couldn't grasp it. My point being that if you take real world examples and apply those examples to dollars and cents, such as, okay, today we're gonna buy a house, and this is what you have to do to buy a house. This is the entire process from start to finish. People could maybe understand that, or even something simple like renting their first apartment and understanding that there are utility bills that have to be paid. I remember years ago when my daughter was very young and she left home, she went into an apartment with a friend of hers and she called me about two months later and said, Dad, we got this bill from the electric company. They turned off the power. What's that all about? And I told her, I said, well, you have to pay for that. She said, well, I never paid for it when I was living at home. And I said, well, of course not. I paid for it. Now you have to pay for it. You're an adult. You moved out. You're going to have to pay for electric. You'll have to pay for water. You're going to have to pay for your phone bill. You're going to have to pay for all of those things. And she was literally shocked. Now, that was something that it didn't occur to me to even explain to her. All of a sudden, one day, she turned 18 and said, well, I'm going to move out. She was out of school. But I didn't give her that education early on that I'm complaining other parents don't give. That's just a good example of what happens in life. Also, a lot of people get divorced over money. Money is, the, I believe, still the number one cause of divorce, along with all the stress that comes with not having enough, running out of money because you overspent, that type of thing that brings families into conflict. Much of that, I really believe, could be avoided, or at least partially avoided, with a little education up front on the part of high schools. I think that's the best place to start. Of course, you can start earlier with children. That program I mentioned when I was in 
Elementary School actually exists here along the Mississippi Gulf Coast in a few schools supported by one of the local credit unions that has done exactly what they did many, many decades ago when I was in school, and that is to help the kids understand how to save money. I think that's a great thing to do. There is no way, in my opinion, that this credit union is making any money on this, but what they're teaching the children is a terrific public service. I think more opportunities like this exist for uh, public-private partnerships. I think those of you that have children in school could probably reach out to your local financial institutions and ask if there's anything that they can do to help, even if it's to provide free information that can be given to the children that's actually written for children, or work with schools to perhaps identify some type of a course that could be given on an elective basis at the minimum, possibly after school. Or, as this one educator I spoke to today mentioned, you could create a club, like a finance club, for example, that could be supported by one or more financial institutions to help kids really get a handle on finance and possibly even create a career path for children as they grow older. They might want to get into banking or lending of some type or some other finance, maybe even in the stock market, become a stockbroker down the road. So there are a lot of opportunities for people that understand something about finance that there might be, again, the career opportunities as well. But more important than that is to make sure that your children, grandchildren, and all the other children around you have a great start to life. You can do this by contacting your local school districts, find out what type of courses they have, contact the state legislators, find out what types of bills they might want to sponsor that would also come with the funds to teach financial literacy to children in school. Thank you for listening to our podcast and me pining away about trying to create a better society through financial literacy education. I'm Bill Anderson, your host for this podcast please visit the retirecoast.com website for a whole variety of blog articles and podcasts on topics similar to this one on how to improve your life through education. We appreciate your listening and hope that you will join us again at a future podcast. Thank you.